This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Louise Metcalf, founder and CEO of George, an online robot who helps kids 7 to 12 years old with anxiety. Louise shares her story of a clinical career spanning 30 plus years as a practicing psychologist that has now adopted a co-designing approach with kids, their parents, educators, and other health professionals to produce a digital mental health intervention in the form of a virtual robot that empowers and improves a child's ability to develop resilience and manage stress. George, spelt G-H-E-O-R-G, is an acronym that captures Louise's vision of a digital mental health tech that is gentle to humans with thought, organisation and resilience guidance. And this clever design approach has resulted in an educational and lovable online character that a family can easily download as an app and introduce to their child. George then helps improve a child's emotional intelligence and mental well-being in a fun and engaging way. Louise's enthusiasm and energy are infectious, and there are so many layers to this discussion that I love talking through, as we covered so much that is near and dear to my heart around co-designing health tech with diversely skilled collaborators. If you're practicing in healthcare and are curious about how health tech can be developed, you'll get a lot out of this episode as we work through the magic that happens when healthcare professionals, clients, and health tech developers work together. Let's jump in. All right. Well, hey, Louise, how are you doing today? Hi, Yanni. I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. You've become a startup founder. What an incredible journey. Before we get into the startup side, tell us a little bit about your background in uh, healthcare. Yeah. So for my sins, I'm a psychologist (laughs) for nearly 30 years. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) It's a long time to be looking at people's brains. But it's been great. Actually, I love my career. I think it's one of the best jobs in the world. And so can so many things. And so I have done many things. I started off my career working with Vietnam vets and doing a little bit of counselling there and post-traumatic stress syndrome, working with people who have experienced rape. The whole area of counselling you can kind of get into and then moved on to working with a broad range of people in the community as a, as a general psych and I even did some consulting with organisations. I still do some of that, creating a well workforce and uh, worked internationally doing some of that and I've worked with the United Nations looking at how uh, mental health is improved through the natural environment. When I was doing some uh, background, uh, just leading into our podcast today, it's really been quite the journey that you've been on. In the time that I've gotten to know you, you're a very positive person. You're very upbeat. I'm looking forward to talking about what you've created with George in a moment. But transitioning, what was that like? You've come from 30 years as a healthcare professional and now uh, it's been, what, a good four or five years that you've been on the uh, startup journey and, and moving into the tech world? been about five years now and the last couple of years you know further along than before but yeah it's been interesting you know being a health professional you spend a lot of time getting to know people and that's one of the best parts of the job 
And when you sort of move into digital health, it's more about providing these these bigger solutions for a lot of people, and a lot of them you talk to, but some you don't. So in that sense, it's it's very different. And of course, getting to work with amazing tech people and designers, and translating mental health solutions into technology has been absolutely fascinating. A real challenge, but fascinating and good fun. I think it's important to sort of talk about that because it's one of these things where everybody thinks that tech is a silver bullet and just because tech exists, the world is a better place. And it's not exactly like that, is it? The tech is kind of inert. It just sits there with potential in it, but we really need to have that kind of guidance and leadership as to what that potential should be and how it should be. What do you say to that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that I've noticed in this journey actually is how few psychologists are involved in digital health solutions. That's not great at all. We need a lot. We need many more psychologists involved, and we, we really need psychologists to get into this area, boots and all, and start developing those solutions because we have the knowledge. You know, we have the knowledge about how these solutions work in the real world and how they don't work. And you can't build great technology without that experience. So you really need a lot more psychologists in this area, a lot more. Absolutely. And I, I hope through the Health Check X collaborations, we can uh, do more and more of that. That's haven't shared this with you, but that's been one of the drivers of uh, creating Health Tech X. We really wanted to create a place, a space, so to speak, where health professionals and developers can actually get together because you, you can't do it with just one or the other. I think it needs to be a melting pot of those diverse skills and capabilities to come together yeah. and be put together in a certain way in order to experience success. What's it been like for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You do need a real melting pot. We've got some people on the team who are very experienced in design for health, but designing for mental health, not so much. And that's simply because the field is so new and so small at this point. So it's, it's yeah, it's been quite a journey for them as well to get to know what a psychologist does, how it works, how you can translate that and what technology can do to advance that as well. So it's it's been very interesting, all that translation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like to say, let's figure out what we need to do and why we need to do it, and then we'll figure out how. So the tech should be the, the how that's the response to how we're going to do this as opposed to what are we doing and why. So it was around 2015, wasn't it? You got pretty excited about the idea of creating a, uh, a robot. Tell us I, about that inspiration. I, yeah. So like as a psych, I had noticed that childhood anxiety was on the rise, but I was working in the inner city. I, I kind of explained it away and didn't really look at the, the, the official rates. And then I had my own kid and uh, we were doing all the childcare stuff, of course, and everybody wanted to have the same discussion. It was all about childhood anxiety every single time. As soon as you say you're a psychologist, oh, my God, I need to talk to you. And it was all about childhood anxiety. It was a real eye-opener. So that, that made me look. It made me pay attention, and the rates were going through the roof at that point. Mm-hmm. So that was that's lower than it is now. And I was horrified at that point. I think those rates were around about 8% at the time. And that's awful to a psychologist because you know the long-term effects of it. It's horrible, obviously, for a child to experience anxiety. 
but it sort of carries on into adulthood if it's not treated. At the time, I was also doing a little bit of work for a friend of mine looking at the Medicare review. And the particular thing that he asked me to look at was the workforce, you know, how we were tracking in terms of numbers of psychologists alongside the rates of mental health. So putting these pictures together was a, a real coincidence, but a real shock. You know, you could see the lack of services and you could, like, it was very clear the avalanche that's really coming and how we won't be able to look after all those people and they really will need it. So at that point I just thought, you know, psychs are amazing. We do an amazing job. We have an amazing workforce in Australia in this area, but we aren't going to be enough to do this and so we needed something else and so George was born. That's fantastic. And George, it, it's an interesting choice of name and I'll just spell it. We'll put links in the show notes as well, but it's G-H-E-O-R-G, George. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the name. Yeah. So George is an acronym. I really like the name George, by the way. But... Oh, I love the name George. <laughs> but um, it's an acronym for uh, Gentle to Humans. Emotion and Thought Organization and Resilience Guide. Obviously, couldn't fit the T in without it sounding really strange. So, <laughs> <laughs> in there, <laughs> but it's just not part of the actual name. So that's why he's George. That that is what he does, and all, what he will always do. Fantastic. So embedded in the name is obviously a very relatable name for a relationship that can be developed between a child. And when you when you say child, what what sort of age groups are we talking about? When is George a good fit? Yeah, currently he's built for 7 to 12-year-olds because he's text-based, so it requires some literacy. Um, we've, we've limited that as much as we can, but still it's around about 7 to 12-year-olds. We've got some younger kids using it with parents, so parents doing the reading and the writing, and, and that's working quite well. But we, we do want to, that's a limitation of George, and we really want to overcome it one day. So hopefully we get past that. But it's, it's working very well for 7 to 12-year-olds, which is great. Yeah, I think there's a real pearl of wisdom in that for uh, any aspiring digital mental health people out there that the client needs to be able to interact with whatever the digital health tool is. You, you just made a point there that your range of ages need a child to at least be able to interact te with text and be able to use text. Any kind of barriers in the way between client and the, uh, the tools or the service need to be thought through as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, one of the most amazing things that's happening at the moment really is how far they're going in relation to, to using voice. So there's such potential there, which we've not had before, and it is, it's, it's so great to think of how that could be used in mental health technology. So there's, yeah, such a great opportunity to take George into that zone when he's ready. Fantastic. Now, you describe George as a robot, and uh, from a distance, George is a downloadable application through the app markets in the mobile play stores and, and the like. Tell me about that use of wording and, and I guess the technological underpinnings. Yes, yeah, so George is a virtual robot now, um, but he does have a robot body, which I made first. You know, having a, having a kid myself, I kind of know how much they love to interact in the real world. So that was kind of my original dream. That would be awesome to get there one day. But obviously, he needs a brain first. And so that's why we're starting with the app. 
and it's working very well. He's a great little virtual character. He's very sweet, which is exactly what I had in mind for the, the hardware version as well. He's, he's very expressive. He's very personable. He, he expresses empathy, which is a, a bit of a strange thing for a robot, I guess. But kids really get it and love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think I think it's a fair uh, connotation. I actually didn't know that about your vision for for George. They, so there's a future version of a not a mobile application, but a, a an actual robot with George embedded within it. That's a great vision, well, Louise. Thank you. Yeah, he's he's built he's designed as a robot to be very facially expressive, which is very important for children. And, you know, kind of a, a very different way to, to think of a robot, I think. This is another reason why we need psychologists in this area, right? Because we do think a little differently about how humans need to interact with technology. And technology can get a lot healthier. It can get a lot mentally healthier. And that's one of the ways that you would do it, by, by allowing this kind of technology to have facial expressions. My daughter, Electra, is uh, just touch over four now. She has a number of toys. You know, they, they're not toys. They're, they're people that she's interacting with. And, you know, we need to tuck them in at night, in, you know, when we put it to bed. And so I think having that kind of relationship is uh, very intuitive. It's there. But to be able to actually take it from an inanimate structure as a, and when you think about the toy structure into something that's now interacting and uh, interfacing. Thank you. Yeah, there's so many things we can do there. It's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. So there's a lot that, yeah, psychologists can offer in terms of adapting our current technology for children, but also for adults to just be a lot more mentally healthier. How does the child become aware of George? So we have a schools program to introduce George to kids. And it's just a way of helping kids understand anxiety. Anxiety is very much on the rise. So I was just actually looking at the statistics. Uh, So when I first started five years ago, 8%. At the beginning of last year, the official numbers were around about 20%. There's a little bit of disagreement among the epidemiologists. So you can see how fast that rise is. And then during the pandemic, there's actually a very limited number of studies, but the ones that have come out include UNICEF's, which they indicated a ratio of about 50%, which is awful, 60% for girls, 50% for the average, and 40% for boys. And there's a small number of studies that have been released in the journals and they tend to reflect that dramatic rise that UNICEF has published. So we know that anxiety is on the rise. We know that's quite a terrible rate of anxiety. And we know that it's it does get expressed in schools and teachers have some training around anxiety. It's quite good, actually. But that's quite a tough thing to ask a teacher to manage multiple children in a classroom now with anxiety, as well as teach a very full curriculum. So we're trying, we're doing our best to help teachers and schools as well as we do this. So we know there's a big need there and we can do a lot. So we're doing that and it's it's very interesting to see how kids engage with it. We had the most amazing response recently where a child was so, so interested in George and the workshop. They went home and actually taught their whole family about anxiety and how to manage it. It was awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. To me, when I was learning more about George, I was thinking about that corollary benefit of being an opportunity for a parent and a child to actually share that experience 
in in some way has is that happening or is that part of the design of the approach yeah when we first built george we really had the child in mind and trying to reduce symptoms and improve resilience and so that's what he's initially built for but when we released george we were really amazed by the engagement from parents amazed and impressed and that's proving to be so beneficial for the family. It's it's been such an eye opener, but absolutely brilliant. And how does George uh, do it? You know, how does how does he help children develop the resilience and and manage stress? Yeah, he's quite a simple character, really. He's very empathetic, and I think that's a key draw card for kids. But and very cute, obviously. And he has friends that are very cute and empathetic, so that kind of helps. But he really helps kids to, first of all, be able to label emotions. We kind of take that for granted, but there is a very well-known effect in the literature where kids from about the age, particularly for boys about the age eight, start to reduce the language they use around emotions. And that's quite a big problem, actually. It's very important that ad- adults as well, but children are able to you know, be specific on what they're feeling and to be able to tell people what they're feeling. So he does that at first. He gives kids an opportunity to say how they feel. He gives kids a language and we use icons as well to help with the, the demand of literacy to reduce that. And he helps kids to work out what is driving that feeling, which, uh, again, you know, often adults are not so great at that. So this is a a really good technique to be building quite early in in life. And so he helps them to pull those things together. He also has stories to help kids understand those challenging emotions. He has some great stories about the, the less challenging emotions too, like being happy. But the challenging emotions, kids really enjoy the stories around that. And it's those stories are George helping out his friends who feel it. So it also gives kids a way to help their friends when they feel these, these challenging emotions as well, creating more community. And he also encourages kids to remember the good stuff. Now, this is a little bit of positive psychology that we threw in. And there's going to be a lot more of this stuff as George grows but that, that memory process of being able to notice the good stuff around you, to encode it into memory and to recall it is the process that George is working on when he, when he asks them to do those things. So he's not terribly complicated in many ways, but he does the things that kids really need in order to reduce anxiety and build resilience. I wanted to ask you about that approach to the neuroshaping and you've talked about some positive psychology. Are there any other psychology theoretical frameworks that are underpinning how how George does this? Yeah, we weave into the stories some cognitive behaviour therapy and some acceptance commitment therapy as well. ACTs, like acceptance commitment therapy, ACT is really on the rise in terms of popularity now for psychologists and that's great because it is such a good thing to teach kids that, you know, you can have these challenging emotions, but they do pass. That really, really helps. So it's woven into the stories to help them to understand how to navigate the, this challenging emotion territory. What kind of things does George do across a, the course of time? Does he track? Does he feedback? And if so, who to? 
Yeah, absolutely. In fact, this is one of the one of the benefits of digital mental health. You know, the the capacity to track symptoms and the capacity to, you know, to kind of recognize when it's time to actually get a get a human involved, get a human psychologist involved perhaps. And he he helps parents do that. So children they get to see how often they kind of use the calm down function that he has and how they generally feel over a time frame, a bit like you would track your running or something. But parents get to actually look at behavioural indicators of anxiety and get to actually tick those off over a time period so they can track when these things appear. And they may look at those things and not see any, which is really comforting and helpful to parents who may be worried about this. But if they do see them, then they can also think, okay, well, it's it may be good to go and talk to people. Initially, probably the GP. Initially, probably the teachers, which is great. And then when they're ready, they can actually go and see a psychologist. And then they have this database of information about when symptoms started, what those symptoms were, and how they kind of progressed, which really helps diagnosis. Children had their own language and therapy, which is awesome definitely part of the best bits of working with kids but sometimes it can be hard to understand at first takes time to build that rapport sometimes and George can can speed up that process of diagnosis simply by this this collection of data that a psychologist can then look at and go okay I see something here that's really interesting I'm kind of just uh, working through a few things in my head I'm obviously pretty excited and focused on digital health and how we actually do it and how we modernize healthcare. And one of the things that I talk a lot about in the industry is the idea of designing the experience for the client. From your point of view, you've uh, designed George to be a relatable and engaging character is something that's quite attractive and cute, I guess, uh, in being that kind of easy to interact with and forming that kind of relationship with the child. And I see the journey there as far as how the child would get access to George and how the parents would want to participate in that. And that's sort of the client interaction with George. But on the other side of the equation is a practitioner who may be working with the child or the family to support uh, the reduction in anxiety. So clinically, what comes out the other side? How does the psychologist work with George? Yeah, at the moment, this is this is also very simple. Uh, we actually want to want to work more closely with more psychologists. So we obviously work with a few since I'm one, but you know we need more really to really advance what we do here so that it works for more psychologists. We ask parents actually first of all, what would you like? What would you be most comfortable with? And they said, oh, would I just be most comfortable with me handing over my device so that they could see you know, what I've been noticing, and then I can take my device back. But I think as we go along, that will actually change. We, we have noticed that with George already. Initially, parents said, I want George on my phone, and then I can hand it to the, my child, and they can actually use George that way, which is exactly how we built him. Parents, after they've, you know, gotten used to George, like, oh, my gosh, that was not, no, this is not working. We really just want George on the child's iPad and um, then I'll get my phone back. So <laughs> George is actually not terribly addictive. So it's, 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 
fine. He's built that way. He's not Pavlovian addictive. So um, it's a good sign that they actually really like him. But a really good sign that parents can start to feel comfortable with this kind of technology once they see the benefits of it. So that's really awesome. And we, we think that's what's going to happen when once psychologists start to engage on the therapeutic side. Um, parents will have this, we, we think, the same effect. They will start to go, oh, I think it's okay. You, you know, it would be nice if the psychologist could also see this data. So that's actually in our plan for the future. But, yeah, obviously we'll see how we go. It's all we are very, very committed to looking after our kids first and our parents and making sure that they're very comfortable. So we'll see. Would it be fair to describe George as a digital mental health intervention or a digital mental health therapeutic? What's what's the right way to position it from your point of view? Oh, it's a good question. I'm not sure, actually. I think probably I'd describe him as an intervention at this point because he is uh, quite simple and he doesn't directly connect to psychologists yet. I think once you once you're directly interacting with the health professional, then it moves on to a therapeutic because it, it can be a lot more sophisticated based on you know whatever basically homework they might prescribe to to help the child. So eventually, yeah, he'll be more sophisticated. But at the moment, he is quite a simple character. We actually want to get so sophisticated that George, there's some great research out of uh, the US on using tone of voice and language to diagnose mental health conditions. And we would like him to get to that point that he could actually do that. But at that stage, he really is quite a sophisticated engine and would love to see that connection to human psychologists alongside that. I'm having this kind of extrapolated uh, vision in my head as I'm listening to you, Louise, about in mental health, in all of allied health, at least in my experience, you know, that idea of adherence and commitment to the therapy is kind of a notorious challenge. Providing ways to promote adherence or engagement through the continuity of the care uh, is kind of keen. I see this potential in George, and maybe this is in your vision uh, anyway, but this is how I'm relating to you right now. George may be an answer to that, particularly in that category of, you know, seven to 12-year-olds. And I can see the potential in a, in a sense of this sort of feedback that could inform therapy. You know, I could see the potential to actually do integration with a clinical system where George is able to export or send information, obviously with consent from the family and the parents. Is that in your thinking or am I sort of jumping in and brainstorming a little bit too much here? I think actually a lot of psychologists had this thought, to be honest, you know, at least the people that I know. Um, when Alexa came out, it's like, oh, gosh, wouldn't that be awesome if this technology could be used to actually help people go and get help when they really need it? Just to let them know, oh, it could be a good moment, no pressure, but, uh, you know, there's a nice friendly neighbourhood psychologist around the corner or something, you know, that would be awesome. We do know that a lot of mental health care plans never get used. So uh, forget about the actual homework and therapies. Start a bit further back. People actually go, oh, I think I've got something here. Better go and see the GP. They get their mental health care plan. I think it's something like 80% are never used. That is shocking. And, yeah, we, obviously there's a lot of need there, a lot of people needing help and experiencing real challenge and discomfort and, and they're missing out. So there's, there is such potential to really integrate a lot of this stuff so that it would actually help people. 
obviously you would never want to be authoritarian about it, you know, but because that would never work anyway, you know, any psychologist will tell you that. A way to kind of help people to recognise, you know, you may have become, your language has become very negative. It could be a good moment to go and get to know your friendly neighbourhood psychologist, you know, that would be awesome. Well, look, I'd, I'd love to explore that avenue with you at some point in time. Uh, obviously, with the Core Plus user community, there are bound to be psychologists who are focusing on uh, childhood anxiety and being able to complement their uh, therapeutic approaches with something like George might be uh, uh, a great experiment to go on where we could actually look at how to bring that information or that data back into the clinical uh, system, into the into the clinical record in a way that actually helps that parent issue that you were describing earlier where the parents having to use their phone or, and it's not that comfortable with it, but we're actually bringing the data back into the clinical record and yeah. using it in a clinical context. Yeah, and there's the other side as well, actually. In our, in our interviews with parents, we did discover some parents who had, uh, you know, very, very serious conditions with their kids and no help, absolutely no help. So integrating these things would actually help us to work out where we need those more advanced services as well, which would be great for anxiety. There's actually um, there's a number of aspects of anxiety where you really can't get any help in Australia, actually. We don't have any clinics for some of these types of anxiety. So it would be great to know, you know how, how much need is there and to actually have a case to provide some of these more advanced services as well. There's so much potential. And I think one of the other things that parents said is, um, I love my psychologist. I get heaps of great exercises from them and we maybe get one or two done. So <laughs> it's great that, yeah, even in that sort of component of just doing homework, George, yeah, George is really designed to help in that area too. Well, I think that's kind of what is really coming together in, in my mind. If we sort of look at conceptual frameworks such as patient-reported outcome measures and patient-reported experience measures, and you look at the theory embedded in those concepts and you sort of, I can, I can see a real strong correlation with what George could do to actually be the feedback to support those outcome measures and support the, the experience as well. It's slightly different in the, in, in the PREM context. Uh, I know that's kind of more about the, the session and the practitioner and client uh, kind of relationship. But I can see, you know, in the tech world, for example, we're, we're always looking for feedback around how to improve the interface or the user experience, non-clinical feedback coming through as well would be a nice yeah. augmentation to how to actually then either stay on track with this particular program or make some course corrections in terms of what's what's being revealed through that data. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. You might find that's a little more complicated than you might expect. Some aspects of therapy can be quite challenging you could find that there are things that kind of pop up uh, in use of George that can show the challenge of therapy, also the benefit, of course, but it just shows how you need psychologists to kind of be part of this process to really understand it. Otherwise, you could end up with really strange things, findings that you just think, oh, that, does that show, does that show a, a positive outcome or not, you know? One of the things that we have noticed about the kids using George at the moment is when they start using George, they tend to use the panic feature to calm down the most. But that swaps over to the emotion language feature quite quickly and then that becomes more dominant. So, and we didn't actually expect that to, to happen. So that's why it's so important to have 
you know, people who understand the process, the whole process on both sides of the fence so that you, you do understand the results that you're getting back. That's really um, interesting. And that sounds very uh, iterative as well. I noticed that you've had a lot of experience uh, through this journey as a founder in co-creation and co-design. Talk us through that, because I, th- I think that's what I was hearing in what you were just saying there about the discoveries and the insights that are going on there and the experiences. There's a bit of an experimentation that's been going on over the years. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, you know, like my first ideas of George were probably a, a lot more than, you know, possible in technology at the moment. And <laughs> like, a, like a little take-home robot? Yeah, maybe a little bit too far. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as you sort of go along, you, you, it's co-creation on so many levels because you're co-creating with, you know, technology mm. people yeah. who, yeah, they know that they know the potential. They also know the limits and, and they're sort of, you know, finding out what you can do. And co-creating with parents and children and teachers and psychologists and adding all that together is so important because you quite often get moments where one group is saying, you can do this, this is no problem at all, and another group is going, you know, wait a second, Uh, that doesn't feel comfortable, I'm not ready for that, Um, let's not do that. And so it's quite a, it's quite an interesting territory to navigate, but it's extremely important that you co-create in this area because we are trying to help kids in multiple domains. You know, we're trying to help them in schools and also at home. And obviously, homes can be very different. So without co-creation, you would end up with something which is, uh, you know, just wouldn't work for so many people. A lot more challenging, but very worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you talked about a panic feature uh, earlier. Are there any other features that you describe in such a succinct way? So you've got the panic feature. What other types of features are in in George? We're still building some of these components. So he will eventually have a kind of like a mental Tai Chi aspect as well. Yeah, which is kind of fun. It's, It's just a way to kind of build in a method that kids understand, as in games, that will also teach them about practicing mental health skills. So, yeah, he, he does have quite a strong component of this neuroshaping. We're very focused on neuroshaping. And neuroshaping is, of course, all about practice. You actually have to repeat stuff. So we're working on ways to do that, which, which are very child-friendly and they'll actually want to do. Otherwise, it's, you know, really hard. Actually, during the interviews, we had a parent, actually quite a number, say, yeah, just I, I absolutely hate making my kid do the homework. Mm. So that was one of the problems that we really wanted George to solve. We wanted him to be actually kid-friendly kid in a way that they, that they actually want to engage with him and do the homework. So, yeah. When George is introduced to a child, um, do you have an expectation of approximately how long George should remain in that child's life and then some kind of measures to verify or validate whether George has been successful in that regard? How do you define success with George? I think at the moment we define, uh, like, um, so there's a very recent article that came out in Nature looking at mental health apps and how they define success, which was really interesting. And only three of them had outcome measures. And only one of those was actually about the the illness. The other, the other ones were about mood changes. 
So you can see there's a lot of work to be done here. But George's measures of success are about the symptoms. We actually want to see those symptoms reduce. And so far, that seems to be happening. And we also want to see the panic reduce. As I said before, we have noticed that happening as well. Those are the two things that we've really we've really started in terms of looking at outcomes, and that's the way we're determining success at the moment. However, we really want to run clinical trials where psychologists are actually doing the assessment of the anxiety form and also level and looking at how George is actually helping kids again, so so pre and post kind of assessment. So we want to be pretty rigorous about this. It's pretty expensive to do that, but it's definitely on my list because I'm absolutely certain that George can do that, you know, very confident indeed based on what we've seen. So why not actually show this in a more sophisticated manner and, and uh, you know, see what else we can we can build to help more kids. Personally, I, I can't see a world of digital mental health that doesn't include the practitioners themselves. It's not a replacement. It's not an alternative to the healthcare professional. It's a, it's a relationship beyond the appointment setting that allows the relationship to propagate whilst acknowledging that, you know, a psychologist can't spend 24 seven with, with a client. So in a way I kind of say digital mental health is the opportunity in between the appointments but not as a replacement to the appointments. And I see George, I've got a vision uh, for Core Plus George as a uh, solution for clinicians out there who want to specialise in uh, some of the areas of anxiety that you're talking about. I, I sort of can't believe that we don't have a lot of people in those areas that you describe those subsets of anxiety for children. So I would say if somebody's thinking about niching or focusing in on an area of practice, they, it might be good to reach out to you, Louise, and have that discussion. Yes, yes, please do. We, we need we need all of you. <laughs> you know, we need to have the conversation. Otherwise, you know, we might not build it right. So yeah, get in touch. There's just so much we can do here. So much that is needed now, and you know, rapidly coming in the future. So we need to get on top of it. I think that's great. I guess to future gaze a little bit, I like to ask the question in the spirit of the the namesake of the show, the reimagining healthcare. What's the world going to look like in five years' time, Louise? Are we going to have our robots running around and being dragged into amusement parks and carried around the house and the like? Are we going to get there in five years? What else do you foresee over the next uh, five to ten years, let's say? Well, I don't think we'll get there in five years. That'd be <laughs> awesome. But... <laughs> oh, yeah, look, I think actually in five years I'd love to see George helping kids right around the world. You know, there's such a lot of need out there. It's not just Australia. It's it's the Western world, it's the Eastern world, it's developing worlds. It's there's pretty much everywhere this is on the rise. So yeah, I'd love to see him in five years in multiple languages, working in multiple countries, um, helping truckloads of kids. In ten years' time, ah, I like this one. Yes, yes. Why not? Why not George for everybody? He is such a beautiful character. I actually have had parents say to me, I want a George. <laughs> That's great feedback. And I have, oh, isn't that wonderful? And I, I had a university actually, I think it was like a safety person or a wellness person rang me and said, we love George, can we have it? And, of course, I, I said no because he's not built for that age group. But it's just great to get all this feedback about how many people would love a George in their life, someone who just is 
very positive, very sweet, and just reminds them of the good stuff and helps them talk through the challenging stuff. You know, I think that it would be so beautiful and connects them, connects them to community, particularly the marvellous and wonderful psychology community to help them, you know, in human ways when it's needed. That's a, another insight into, I guess, some of the challenges with digital mental health tools. We've seen over the years that there have been a lot of apps that have entered the Play Store, but the solving that problem of connection and engagement so that the app on your phone is front and centre, it's on that front screen, so to speak, it's the one that you engage with the most. It's really clever and innovative the way you've gone about this in building, I guess, a foundation towards George the Robot and really yeah. speaking the language of children you know, to be able to work through how they feel about things and overcoming oh, yeah. their stress. And some of that feedback is so challenging. Our, our original George was non-gendered. That's why it's George. It's uh, spelt differently. You know, he was non-gendered. And when we first took him out to children, they said, no, you've got this wrong. George is a boy. And then he has a sister called Georgie. So That's <laughs> amazing. There you go. But yeah, so George is the company, but George and Georgie are the robots. And it's it's so interesting which ones children choose, you know, to engage with. And it's beautiful, really beautiful. So tough feedback, but we love that. <laughs> it's not what you know, it's what your clients know. And uh, it's best to stay on track with that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Louise, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing your story from uh, transitioning as a practitioner into a startup founder and now you're four or five years into the journey you've got george you've got a fantastic vision and i'm really excited to um, have you participate in the show and looking forward to uh, seeing george and georgie and uh, any other characters that might come out of the stable some of the vision that you have going forward so thank you so much for coming along today my pleasure yanni it was fantastic so good to talk to you Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.